People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. The new Premier League season is only a few days away and that means that Premier League Insights is here and ready to go for the 2020-21 campaign. We're once again partnering with InfoGold to ensure that we bring you top-level analysis to help analyse the odds and find out where the value might be. Here, on behalf of InfoGold, as he was all of last season, is Jake Osgathorpe. Jake, not quite the, the normal post-season break and slow pre-season but a week or two of rest I guess how are you feeling yeah yeah um it feels strange really I mean we, we had solid football for about two three months and um you know two weeks without it all of a sudden was you know didn't know what to do with myself but it's back with the uh, with a bit of a vengeance with pretty much every league starting over the next couple of weeks and obviously the Premier League is is the big one and yeah looking forward to get uh, watching some games and seeing what the sort of standard's like at the start of this, obviously given the, the short pre-season that quite a few of these teams have had. That's it. I don't think we can ever complain about having too much soccer to to watch and bet on. Plenty of, I mean, there's a lot of things, you just alluded to it there with like the, the weird pre-season set up. There's a couple of teams that are starting the season a little bit later because of the, the Champions League and Europa League and everything like that. Um, I haven't really got much of a plan to stick to today, but we have got a load of outright markets that we can look at and that people are going to be interested in betting on. And I'm, I'm sure or I'm hoping we can naturally find some structure as we, we kind of run through top to bottom. Um, I think the obvious place to start is, is going to be the title race. Obviously, two years ago, two seasons ago, we had a thrilling race between City and Liverpool where, where City just pipped Liverpool. Liverpool then, I mean, they, they ran away with it last year. They dropped a few points towards the end once the title was won. Um, in terms of the odds, this is, I mean, it's great to start with this because it's a really interesting one for me. Pinnacle have got City at 1.74 and Liverpool at 2.80. So putting City at around 55% chance, Liverpool at 35%. And then we've obviously got the the remainder of that shared between the rest of the league. Um I mean, for me, this was, I seem to remember towards the end of last season, markets were going up for this and we were around about a coin flip. Um, maybe some messy money came in and, and pulled City in a little bit to make it in balance. And that's now obviously gone out of the window. I can't see past these two. And I don't think, I'm sure InfoGold are probably the same. And a lot of betters out there are as well. It's going to be difficult for Liverpool to maintain their their levels of performance and and regain the title or maintain the title I should say City were were a lot better than the gap between the two suggested I think like for me you've I'm going to side with City to win it but I just don't know whether there's value in that kind of price I mean it's it's very short on them at the moment especially considering how well Liverpool have played for for a good two seasons now um where's info goal on this then who do you think's going to win the title why and, and where is the value yeah, pretty similar to what you've just said there, Ben. I think we we think Manchester City are going to win the league also. Uh, we're giving them around a 48% chance of doing so, but the value ultimately is with Liverpool at the prices. Um, we, you know, Man City, we, we've got them at around 2.1 based on our probabilities and, and Liverpool, we're giving them a 39% chance of winning the title, so around 2.6. So the value is ultimately with Liverpool, even though the model does obviously side with Manchester City. Um, and I, although we've got you know, we spoke about it a lot last season. The fact that City were um, on paper, on the, according to the expected goals, the best team in the league by a, a quite a, a, well, I'll say a country mile. Um, they boasted some astounding underlying numbers last season. They averaged two point six seven expected goals for per game, allowed just one point zero five expected goals against per game. So, not only did they have the best attacking numbers according to expected goals, but they were actually the best defensive team um, according to expected goals allowed. So. Um, the ball is well and truly in their court um, in terms of whether they can sustain that level. Because if they can, then I'm, you know, I'm quite confident that they will go on and win another title. <clears throat> um, if it, you know, they can't be as unfortunate in in certain games as they were. Um, a couple that, that spring to mind where you know they they, they conceded one big chance and and basically 
ended up drawing or losing the game. I think there was one at Newcastle that was something along those lines where they racked up around three expected goals to Newcastle's 0.3 and um, ended up drawing the game. Or um, So, you know, th- those sorts of results are unlikely to continue. Um, obviously, they've strengthened as well in the uh, in the defensive areas, bringing in Nathan Ake, which will help them in, in, in some, um, you know, in some aspects. Uh, yeah, they're definitely they're the team to beat. Um, the price that you quoted there of around one point seven four that is for me though way too short because although uh, on raw XG Man City are country miles clear of Liverpool, when you look a little bit deeper into the numbers, um, Liverpool do begin to look extremely appealing. Um, yeah, there's one area of Liverpool's game that isn't picked up by a normal XG model, um, which is. Uh, when you're looking at the XG two, so looking at expected goals, but from the goalkeeper's perspective, and that basically takes into account the placement of the shot, the power of the shot, the swerve um, of all on-target shots. So from Allison's perspective, uh, Liverpool do an extremely good job of, of limiting and reducing the expected goals of, of on-target attempts. So um, you know that's by narrowing angles, um, getting deflections on on shots, and taking the sting off the ball. Uh, and in total, they reduced their, the XG of their on-target attempts by around 23%, which was um, you know country miles clear of, of the next best, which I think was actually Arsenal. So, um, you know, Liverpool, that's their secret weapon really is, is you know, it may look like a, a decent chance on a raw XG shot map, but when you take it from the goalkeeper's perspective, it might just be dribbling towards the, the middle of the net and it'd be a really easy save for him to make. So... Um, if they can maintain that, which it looks like they can, it looks like it's more of a talent than than a stroke of luck. Then all of a sudden, that gap between City and Liverpool and their underlying numbers is is all, all that bit closer. Um, and again, based on 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 what we're saying, we factored that into into our probabilities and the underlying ratings of both teams. And and we do feel as though um, Liverpool are the value at the prices. And you know, it's also worth noting that that Manchester City's expected goal numbers last season, so they racked up. 101.6 expected goals, which is a frightening number, really. Um, that they, they, you know, some of that, or you could almost argue the majority of that is, is actually um, is, is racked up when they're comfortably leading. So, um, you know, in American sports, you call it stat padding. Um, that's basically what Manchester City do. They go one and two nil up, and then um, before you know it, it's five, six, seven, or even eight. They had an eight last last year against Watford, where they just create chance after chance. Whereas Liverpool tend to control games and. Um, almost conserve energy, so they'll go one or two nil up, and and you know they'll sort of cruise to a, a comfortable victory as opposed to going for the kill. So I think that that is factored into the expected goal models as well, and and that's another reason why I think Liverpool is you know slightly undervalued um, heading into into the new season. As for the rest, um, you know we've got Manchester United at a six point five percent chance of winning the title, Chelsea at six point one percent. Obviously, both um, you know finish the season. Manchester United in particular finish the season extremely well. Chelsea have strengthened in the summer, bringing in some uh, really exciting talent, which I'm sure we'll get on to. But yeah, we've seen this as a two-horse race. And although Man City are, are our favourites to win the title, at the prices, the, the value is, is with Liverpool. And do you think um, the the kind of theme of the the two like tactical approaches and what that meant for, for XG models in terms of City and Liverpool, we, we covered that in quite a bit of detail. And I know InfoGoal wrote some, some great articles on it as well. <laughs> If we can see that when we're talking about this on a podcast and stuff like that, is that something that like Pep Guardiola or, or teams that are playing against like Jurgen Klopp, do, do they take that on board? Do they do they know that it's difficult to, to get those high value scoring opportunities against Liverpool and therefore, right, when we play Liverpool, let's try and work it into... Let's not waste our chances. If we, if we get a, a difficult shooting chance, think about moving it into a, maybe a working it around and, and opening up a better chance? Or is it just going to be more of the same, do you think? City doing that, running away with it, getting countless XG in, in single games and Liverpool doing the contain approach and, and just kind of getting the lead and protecting it? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously if you think back a couple of seasons when City and Liverpool were going toe-to-toe, um, City eventually prevailing, quite a lot of Manchester City's win down that home stretch were, um, were they won the game without conceding a goal. Um so a lot of that success that season was due to um, you know a really st- stubborn defence. There was quite a few one nils in there where they were grinding out results, and that wasn't something that we saw last season at all from Manchester City. It was mainly all about the attack, 
and how many chances of goals they could create. And um, although you look at the you know the, the, the number of shots that um, that Manchester City allowed, it was the fewest in the league by around a hundred. Um, they actually conceded you know a similar amount of goals to Manchester United. They conceded more than Liverpool, nearly the same amount as Sheffield United. So. Um, although they're conceding few chances, when they do concede a chance, it tends to be a big one uh, and one that has a higher percentage chance of being scored. Uh, and the defence don't do a very good job of downgrading that, um, making Edison's life easier. So that's what Liverpool do extremely well with the likes of Van Dijk and Gomez. With their pace, they can force players out wide um, and, and make the shot all that dif- uh, difficult. Um, they get good blocks on. And I think that one thing that... that perhaps does go unnoticed or is perhaps a you know an, an unsung part of Liverpool's structure is the midfield um, and Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum, whoever plays in there, they do a really good job of organising um, that back four and ultimately directing the play in, into uh, less dangerous positions. And, you know, even from shots from distance, they, they're making you know, slight blocks to, to make Alisson's life a lot easier. And, and I think that that is a, um, when you watch Liverpool, you can actually see that happening. It's almost second nature to them. They don't talk about it. It just sort of happens where um, when they're fully concentrated, like they were for the first 28, 29 games of the season, um, then it you know it really is good to watch and, and, and it is top defensive work. But as we saw from the final nine games after the uh, the, the hiatus, it was there was le- there was less concentrating. There was a bit of rotating, and, and obviously the title was won at that point. So they were a little bit more open and, and a little bit more gettable. But I'm fully expecting them to return to that sort of stubborn, defensive-minded um, approach with obviously having the, the talented front three to um, to score them plenty of goals. And obviously, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Andrew Robertson down the wings um, being also massive attacking threats. So I think they're, they're just a really well-balanced side, are Liverpool and, and Manchester City. I think they're a little bit top-heavy at the moment in terms of, um, you know, they, they, they are understandably the league's best creators. They've got the best player in the league, Kevin De Bruyne, um, and they've got some fantastic talent in, in attacking areas. But there are just still a few question marks for me defensively about Manchester City. And, um, you know, if, if it's a high-scoring game, you would expect Manchester City to win comfortably. But if it's a low-scoring game, there's every chance that Manchester City could end up losing that one, one or maybe 2-0. Uh, whereas if it's a low-scoring game for Liverpool, you do expect them to come out on top. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting one. And... I think it's something to keep an eye on as the season starts and obviously progresses. We're not going to see Manchester City for the first weekend. Um, but yeah, it, it really is going to be a fascinating duel and I really hope that we do get a title race um, as opposed to a procession last season. One of the other questions I wanted to ask, and you kind of alluded to it there with the Liverpools have got great balance and, and enough depth to obviously, I mean, they, they won a title. They've, they've certainly got enough, enough depth in their squad. Um, City a little bit, top heavy you said that they've signed Nathan Ake they've also gone and got Torres Liverpool I think have got the guy the the backup left back from Olympiacos it's very much these are backup players I think City are kind of rumoured to be in for Koulibaly Liverpool I mean it kind of it puts into perspective just how incredible their achievements have been given that I think it's like Minamino last season as I said, one backup signing this season. They're, they're, they're not doing much in the transfer market, yet they're still blowing teams away. So between now and the start of the season, or I know we've got an extended transfer period, do you think we're, we're going to see more transfers for the top two teams? Do you think we need to see any more transfers for them? Um, I think if I was Manchester City, um, I would be looking for a right-sided centre-half for sure. Um, obviously, Laporte is the first name on the team sheet when it comes to the back line. So he's definitely one that I would like in there. I like the sign of Ferran Torres. Um, I think he he's sort of fills that gap that Leroy Sane left in terms of a you know a flying winger who can create. Um, and as for Liverpool, I know it's rumoured that Gini Wijnaldum could be on his way to Barcelona to link up with Ronald Koeman. And if that's the case, then I don't see why the uh, why Jurgen Klopp shouldn't all of a sudden find thirty million pounds to go and buy Thiago because I think he'd be a perfect signing in that midfield role for Liverpool. But um, yeah, the the only concern I have for Liverpool moving forward is is you know if you think back a couple of seasons, it's it really difficult to remember a time where one of the the front three or even two of the front three were injured or missing for a long spell. Um, they've been very fortunate in that sense. I mean, you can credit the the nutrition team at Liverpool for keeping them fit for so long and keeping them firing and avoiding injuries, but at some point. You know, uh, it, it's not nice to say, but at some point that streak will break, and and 
Liverpool will need a, a decent backup. And at the moment, I mean, Mina Mina has shown flashes of what he's capable of, but at the moment, the drop off from Mane, um, Firmino, and Salah is considerable to the likes of Shakiri uh, and Divock Origi. So, I mean, it's the same conundrum you have with Spurs a few years back where everyone was like, you need to sign a backup striker because Harry Kane always gets injured. But the backup striker is going to be signed knowing that if Harry Kane's fit, he's not playing. Um, and it's the same case with Liverpool, that if you're signed, you know you're not going to be playing if those three are fit. And it's not really, uh, it's not the sort of thing that you would go and join a club for uh, to sit on the bench. So it's a difficult one. It's, it's like a, it's a rock and a hard place really for Liverpool. They, they sign a player and, overpay him to sit on the bench or you can um, just persist with your front three and cross your fingers that they don't get injured. But that for me is the main area of weakness is, is just the, the, the golfing class between the, the front three and, and the bench. Well, let's move our, our way down the table a little bit then. As you said, it's a, it's a clear two-horse race at the top of the table. Champions League last season, probably the highlight of the season given the, the lack of a title race. You've already mentioned Manchester United and Chelsea kind of just about on the fringes of being considered title contenders, if you will, but they obviously got third and fourth last year and almighty crumble from Leicester after Christmas. Wolves were in the mix for a while. Tottenham in the end weren't actually too far away despite a, a terrible season for them. Your personal favourites, Arsenal, they'll be in the, the top four conversation for most people. Um, but let's put those, I think I listed kind of six teams there. Let, let's put those in the, the next bracket into a, a Champions League potential, if you will. Um, how are you ranking the the chances of those teams and how important, as you've already said, the the madness that's been going on at Chelsea with their their transfer activity? Like how how big of an impact has that had on their chances, do you think? Yeah, so um, you know, we had the title as a two horse race and we've got the top four um as a four horse race. <laughs> if you if you include Man City and Liverpool, we we think that the gulf between United and Chelsea to the rest is is too big. And obviously um, you know, you'd look at the way that Spurs and, and Arsenal finished the season in terms of results, um, and you'd probably think I'm barking mad. But um, you know, the results the, the results don't tell the full story. The performances in that time um, from both Spurs and Arsenal were very fortunate. Um, and did, sorry, didn't deserve the, the results that they were getting. And um, you know, if they continue playing in that same manner, then there's, there is uh, no way that I see them overturning United and, and Chelsea and, and finishing that top four. Uh, yeah, United were the the, the big finishes, really. They picked up the most points of any side after um, the 31st of January, which coincided with, obviously, Bruno Fernandes' arrival. Um, they were unbeaten in the league in that time. So, uh, 14 games, no defeats, 13 points, uh, 32 points is, you know, that is title form, realistically. But um, really interesting when you look at their expected goals um, prior to Fernandes' arrival and, and after his arrival, their expected goal difference per game is identical at 0.63. Um, so prior to his arrival, the average 1.8 expected goals for per game and allowed 1.17 expected goals against per game. So a, a pretty decent attack and a pretty decent defence. And after Fernandez joined, uh, the attacking numbers actually decreased from 1.8 to 1.69. Um, and the defensive numbers actually decreased decrease as well. So they got better in defence. Um, so it went from 1.17 to 1.06. So... Fascinating to me, really, that obviously the, the results were massively on the up. You know, the narrative was Fernandez has changed life at, at Old Trafford. Um, but looking at the underlying process, the numbers remained pretty consistent. There was no stark jump from um, before and after. Um, and that is including, obviously, a, a kind of schedule. If you include, you know, I think they played Manchester City prior to the break. Um, but after the breaks, they had nine games and I think that their toughest match was against Leicester away from home. So, um, you know, it, while the, the results were massively positive, the, the performances still remained at a pretty consistent level, which just shows you that when they were languishing around eighth or, or ninth in the table and, and, and a long way behind the top four, the, the performances weren't bad. It was just that they were unfortunate with the results. And, um, you know, they had a nice bit of positive regression to, to sort of counteract the negative regression at the start of the season. So, um, you know, it's it really fascinating to me that the things, although the eye test changed and then they look much better going forward, the actual underlying process remained uh, pretty much identical. So, a little interesting stat for you there for Manchester United. And, and the main takeaway really is that that process that they're playing with um, was comfortably in the top, uh, you know, one of the top four processes in the league. And if they maintain that, then, 
quite confident that they'll be able to uh, again finish in, in the top four. We're giving them around a 75% chance of doing so. So odds of around 1.34. Um, and the same goes for Chelsea, really. I mean, we sung Chelsea's praises all season long last season. Um, the fact that they, the, their process rivaled that of Liverpool, um, which, you know, when you watch Chelsea uh, and how vulnerable they can be defensively is, is hugely surprising. You know, they average 2.06 expected goals for per game, allow 1.21. Um, that is really impressive underlying numbers. And, and if they maintain that, it's highly likely that, that they, they too will again finish in the top four. But obviously last season they suffered from um, a real, just complete bad luck in front of goal and uh, defensively. So lack of clinical finishing, 69 goals scored, from chances equating to 78.3 expected goals, underscoring by around nine. Um, and defensively, they allowed 54 goals from chances um, equating to 45.9 expected goals against. So again, you're looking at around a, an eight goal um, underperformance, if you like. And, you know, the, mon- the majority of that can be um, put on Kepper, really, because we did some calculations based on the XG2 of on-targets uh, shots faced. And we calculated that, an average goalkeeper would have performed better um, than Kepper 99.8% of the time. So basically he was um, ranked as the worst goalkeeper in the league last season based on that metric. Um, and Willy Caballero didn't fare too much better. He was around 74%. Uh, an average goalkeeper would have performed better than him 74% of the time. So that's one area I think that Chelsea still need to strengthen. Obviously they've brought in some fantastic signings. I mean, Timo Werner, we spoke about him a little bit last season. He's absolutely electric and uh, and extremely clinical with his chances and he should really improve that attacking line. Um, Kai Havertz is another player that I really like. Um, fantastic with both feet. Can play as a false nine, can play in the 10. Um, really will improve Chelsea in, in attacking areas. Hakim Ziyech as well is, is another one. But then you start looking down at the, the squad that they've already got with you know, Hudson Adoy in there, Christian Pulisic, T- Tammy Abraham, Olivier Giroud, Mason Mount, Ross Barkley. And you all, you know, they've got about a 40 man squad. And you're thinking to yourself, how are they going to fit all these players in uh, into, into the team? So Lampard's going to have selection headaches, but they are good ones. Uh, Thiago Silva, I like um, as, as a player. I think he'll really improve that back line and make them. Uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit better with his experience, and obviously Ben Chilwell is, is an upgrade on Marcus Alonso. So there is a lot to like. They've fixed quite a few problem areas. Have Chelsea, um, but like I said, for me, the main issue I have with Chelsea is the goalkeeper. But if they can continue performing at the same level as they did last season, again, like with Manchester United, I'm, I'm quite confident that they'll again finish in the top four. Their process was closer to that of Liverpool's than it was to anyone else in the league. So. Um, you know, I'm expecting them again to be right up there and we're giving them around a 71.2% chance um, of a top four finish. So odds of around 1.4. Heavily favoured uh, both Manchester United and Chelsea. And, and then for the rest of the top four, we're looking at, uh, we've got Wolves as our fifth favourites, team that we really like, obviously. We'll speak about them um, in the top six section. Uh, Tottenham, Arsenal, like I said before, good results towards the back end of the season, but in terms of underlying process, it, it was really tragic. Uh, we're giving them around, oh, sorry, they make the top four in around um, 12% of the time. As for Leicester, we're expecting quite a big drop off for them and, and their chances of coming as close as they did last season are down uh, to 4.2%. So it really is Man United and, and Chelsea all the way uh, for, for the Infogol model based on underlying ratings from last season. And, um, you know, I think Chelsea have a really good chance of, of finishing third this time around and, and, you know, both of them sort of scraped in last season, uh, 66 points the pair, which usually isn't enough to get you in the top four. Uh, expecting them both to kick on really and, and rack up a few more points and, and potentially push a little bit closer to Liverpool than Manchester City. Yeah, I think the, I mean, Chelsea's the real interesting one for me. I mean, much has been made of the Werner, Ziyech um, and Havertz, I think collectively was like 10 million more than what they sold uh, Eden Hazard for. Thiago Silva going to be big at the back. Um, Chilwell, another great addition. They've also got that that Malang Sar, who by all accounts is a decent player, but likely to go out on loan. Um, it it clearly shows the the disparity between, like as you said, United and, and Chelsea in third and fourth, and then trying to chase those top two. There hasn't been much in the way of transfers from Manchester United. They've they've just signed uh, Donny Van Der Beek. Um, there was this whole thing about Sancho. Do you think 
is Sancho needed for United, do you think? Would that then push them into that that upper bracket of really pushing Liverpool and City? Or is it more just about sustaining kind of top four and then perhaps building next season and the season after the title challenge? Yeah, um, I mean, if I was a Manchester United fan, I'd be ecstatic if, if Jadon Sancho was signed. I think that... Um, <laughs> Again, it's a similar similar story to Liverpool, but probably even more um, emphatic. The the drop off from Martial, Rashford, and, and Greenwood, who obviously fought his way into the side, to the you know the players that could potentially replace them uh, from the bench, it is absolutely massive. And and I think that it is arguably bigger than what Liverpool's you know Liverpool could call upon Shakiri and, and Divock Origi, who have shown in you know, parts what they're capable of. But for Man United, you're looking at um, Juan Mata, who's obviously aging. Um, you've got Odi Nigalo, who does a job. He's a little bit of a different kind of forward. Dan James, who showed little bursts of, of, of what potential, but I think that was in the first month and then uh, of last season, and then went quiet for the rest of the season. So um, I think if they brought Sancho in and had a little bit more quality in, in competition for places, that that would be huge. Um, I, I do think that they they do need to bring in a couple more, um, uh, maybe. If if Sancho does get done, uh, one another one uh, attacking player is, is also where I see um, where I think that they should add to just again just for the competition for places and allow them to rotate because last back end of last season there was so much pressure on on the likes of Rashford, Marshall, and Greenwood to perform week in week out and you know if if one got injured it was like I said a massive drop off and, and Manchester United's performance would be completely different so. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I like the, the Van der Beek signing, though I'm not, I'm not too sure where he fits in into that that starting lineup. Um, if you think Pogba and Fernandez will play, and they they both like a little bit of box to box freedom, um, usually with either a Matic or a Fred sat behind. Um, Van der Beek is also a box to box player, so it'd be interesting as to see whether he plays and Pogba plays a bit deeper. Um, I don't think you'd get the best out of Pogba if that was the case. Uh, I mean, Thiago is on the market for thirty million. If I was Manchester United, I would, I would, um, you know, just pay that and get him in. He's a massive upgrade on Fred. Um, he's shown, obviously, throughout the Champions League campaign what he's capable of and just how good he is. Uh, he would take that team to the next level. I've seen links for United with Real Madrid's left back uh, Sergio Reguilón, who again I think would be probably an upgrade on Luke Shaw. He was fantastic for Sevilla on loan last season so um but you know it, as as it, with Manchester United and Ed Woodward over the last few seasons it's it's never straightforward they're, they're always prolonging the transfers for no reason um it was last season he was saying I'm not paying 80 million pound for Harry Maguire and then um on deadline day he went and paid it anyway so um you know I, I think it's a, a silly way to run your club because it gives obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer less time to work and embed the players into into the system but um, you know, from a financial perspective, it could work for it with stock market and stock prices increasing. We've been linked to these players, but if I was Solskjaer, I'd be tearing my hair out. If 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 the Sancho deal could have been done um, two three weeks ago, and he's prolonging it until I don't know, maybe even October when the window closes, then you know you're going to be very frustrated as a manager. But I think United squad's good enough to compete for the top four at the moment. Um, but yeah, they they do need two three maybe four more players just to take them to that next level. Yeah, it's two two shout outs for Tiago and his his seemingly bargain price and I'm with you on that. I just I can't understand why either Liverpool or, or Man United haven't snapped him up. It seems like a no brainer, but it must be to do with wages. Uh, he must be demanding crazy wages, but even so he, what is he, twenty nine and he's sort of a he reminds me a bit of Perlo, that sort of fine wine kind of player where he 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 doesn't he's not overly mobile so he doesn't need his mobility so even if he does get older he can still dictate games and make tactical fouls so even even though he's 29 I think I would sign him to a long-term deal right and then if we go so we've kind of done the top four and, and outside contenders and stuff like that and as you said there's this kind of this we'll extend that to the the top six or the ones that might just be on the fringes of the top four in in Wolves and Leicester depending how far they drop away Arsenal and Tottenham and We've mentioned transfers a little bit and, and how, how impactful they might be for certain clubs. I think Arsenal is one that it does, after years and years of this strengthening the back, they need to sort it out. They have gone out and got Gabriel. Um, hold my hands up here. I'm not too sure 
how great of an addition he will be at £27 million. But um, they have also got Saliba coming back um, from the, the season-long loan after they bought him last year. A, a weird one for me in terms of signing Willian. Um, but that's that's another addition that they've obviously made. I think Tottenham have got Doherty from, from Wolves. Wolves themselves, I know you said they're kind of around fifth, but they've, if anything, kind of lost a little bit. I mean, Doherty's won, but I think Johnny's got a, a pretty long injury as well at, at left back. No idea. Again, I, I like to think I know my soccer players, but Fabio Silva's a new one for me for £35 million. And no idea how how good he'll be or how instant an impact he will have. Um, I don't know if we also want to chuck Everton in. We kind of said before we started recording, they seemingly every year is that that team that, that could bridge the gap between sixth and fourth. Are they one among the others? Where do they kind of rank? Are Everton a team that can, should they even be in that conversation for top six for you? Yeah, yeah, they should. Um, it, Everton was such a strange team last season. Um, you know, I think you remember just before the, the break, we were raving about them. They were racking up over two expected goals per game. They were really free-flowing, attacking side, creating plenty of chances and you know winning games. And they looked like they had an outside chance of of, of potentially nicking sixth spot. But after the break, they were. It was almost like a different team came out. They were negative. They were uh, lacked energy. Um, it basically looked like they they had their three months off due to the enforced break, and and then just sort of kept their slippers on really, and and um, you know. Was, sort of went on the holidays and relaxed, but I'm expecting a little bit better from them this season. Um, some of the players at the sign, I, I like James Rodriguez. I think he's a good player. Um, obviously, Sean in, in a World Cup in 2014. Al- Alan as well is is the sort of player that they needed in that central midfield. Um, that was the main weak point, really, was was central midfield. If you remember towards the back end of last season, they were playing... Um, Gilfie Sigurdsson, who's quite an attack-minded midfield player, playing him in uh, alongside Andre Gomez, who, who's not very mobile. So there, there was a you know a massive weak point there in in Everton's midfield, and <clears throat> I think that those signings are exactly what they needed. I think the rest of the team is not too bad, really. I mean, you look at the you've got Coleman at right back, who's very steady. Lucas Dinia, who I really like as a, as a left back um, at centre half. Michael Keane came on really strong towards the back end of last season. He was one of the few players that, that actually made a um, a decent, or a couple of decent performances. Um, and obviously, you've got Yerry Mina alongside him um, or a couple of others. So, I think it was Branthwaite who was playing towards the back end of last season. So, um, you know, defensively, it's not too bad. Um, like I said, the midfield area, central midfield area was was the real cause for concern. But it looks as though they're going to have solved that. They're bringing in Abdullah Decore as well, which... Um, Again, will be a, a decent sign at this level, and then obviously attacking wise, they've got the you know the likes of Carvert Lewin, Richarlison, Bernard, um, and you know I think they could probably do with maybe a couple more quality players up there. But there, you know, there is potential in that squad. Um, like with Chelsea, I've got massive question marks over um, the goalkeeper position. Jordan Pickford was um, one of the worst performing goalkeepers in in the uh, Premier League last season, according to expect XG two. On target attempts faced, he was um, really poor in that, and I think it was only Kepper that was actually worse than him. So, massive improvements needed um, there. Whether that be go out and sign a goalkeeper or, or just hope that Jordan Pickford sort of improves, but they're definitely in the conversation. I think they've got a, you know the manager that they've got in there, um, Carlo Ancelotti, very experienced, and um, I think he, he's more than capable of getting this Everton team in, into into the conversation at the very least. And you know we we have them finishing the top half at the very least this season. Um, we're giving them around a 14% chance of a top six finish. So they are our outsiders. We've got a group of five, Wolves, Arsenal, Spurs, Leicester and Everton, and they are the outsiders to, to finish in there. But if they can get their process back to the same level that we saw um, you know, after Ancelotti was appointed, but before the break uh, and maintain that, then you know they've got every chance of being a, a real dark horse and uh, and crashing that top six. And then is there any others then, I guess, like Southampton, they, they finished quite low down the table in the end last season, but we, we discussed at length that was they were a little bit unlucky. Performances certainly looked pretty decent. Before we get onto the, the relegation markets, if we look at maybe the, the remainder of the top half, is there anyone else for you that's, that's worth a shout out? 
Um, yeah, Southampton, I think you said there, uh, um, I think if, if you're offering a top 10 market, uh, back them to finish in the top 10, I think that they finished the season extremely strongly, both from a process and a results standpoint. And, you know, they although they've, they've lost a couple of players, notably um, Hoiberg, they brought in a couple of interesting players as well. And, and I think that um, Che Adams' emergence towards the back end of last season is going to be crucial for them. I think that um, playing him alongside Danny Ings is, is a, a really nice blend of, of, you know, a front two with... Ings' clinical finishing and Chadham's um, non-stop work rate and channel running, I think that that could be a really good partnership. So, yeah, I'd, re- I'd recommend backing them for a, a top 10 finish if you can. But just looking at top six market, um, you know, like we said, we, we've got Wolves as, as, as the fifth best team in, in the league at the moment. Um, a forecast table has them fifth. And um, last season, they finished fifth in the expected goals table. And the season before that, they finished fifth in the expected goals table. So they're performing at an extremely consistent level year in, year out. And there's no reason whatsoever um, to think that, that that level of performance is going to drop this time around. If anything, it should get better. Um, the second best defensive league uh, team in the league last season, according to expected goals, uh, 1.08 XGA per game. Um, and, you know, although they've lost Matt Doherty, they've got, you know, plenty of money to spend um, on bringing in a replacement. I think they've already brought in a, another left back with uh, from Lyon, um, uh, Marcal, who played in the Champions League for them just a couple of months ago. And, and obviously, uh, Fabio Silva, the, the young centre forward from Porto, who has a, a huge ceiling um, of potential there. You know, I think that... Quite a few of the players that they brought in take a little bit of time to, to bed in. I mean, um, Daniel Pedence obviously flashed towards the back end of last season. Um, Pedro Neto, he looks a really, really good player. I like the look of him a lot. And, um, you know, you've got Diego Jota as well, um, supporting Raul Jimenez. So going forward, they they look really strong. Um, and, you know, I'm not too worried about them losing Matt Doherty. Uh, what was he, about 29, 30 years old? Um I think Spurs have got an okay player. I don't think he's a he's, he's, he's that good. I think uh, he was really well suited to that system that Wolves play. Um, the back five, obviously, with him playing as a wing back, he allows him to get in the box, and, and he scored quite a few goals last season. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how Tottenham use him. If you use him as a flat uh, flat right back in, in a back four, then I don't think you're going to see the best of him. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I think Wolves are, really are um, in terms of chasing that best of the rest tag outside of the top four. I think Wolves are the, are the team to beat. I mean, we're giving them around a 63% chance um, of finishing in the top six this season, which is massive. Um, and, you know, I think that the fact they've not got a any European football as well is a massive boost because last season they were performing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, pretty much most of the campaign. And, um, you know, I think it eventually t- took its toll on, on what is a, a relatively small squad that Nuno operates with. So the fact that they've had, you know, a pretty decent rest and that the you know they'll have a week rest in between each of their matches. I think they'll be really competitive this season, and um, you know if their process maintain is maintained at the same level, they they definitely will push once again to finish in, in the top six. And I think they're being massively underrated, and and the likes of Arsenal and Spurs are being overrated in that market. Again, purely based on results to the back end of last season, um, Spurs. They, they were, like I said, results improving it under Mourinho. I think they, they picked up quite a few points from um, post-breaks. They might have lost just the once, um, winning quite a few matches and obviously climbing the table to finish in the top six. But since Mourinho took over, um, they ranked as only the 10th best team in our XG table based on expected points. Um, the process was negative in that time, 1.4 expected goals for per game. 1.54 expected goals against per game. So they need to improve quite drastically from their underlying numbers. Um, I think Hoiberg's a decent signing for Spurs. I think he, he adds a bit of solidity and a bit of hardness in there. Uh, like I said, I think Doherty's a steady right back, but I don't think he'll he'll produce the same level of, of output at Tottenham as he, as he did at Wolves. So um, it'd be interesting to see how they how they really kick on. I mean, they'll have a fully fit squad to start the season. Um, Mourinho's had a bit more time to work with them. But yeah, I still have my question marks about them uh, in terms of the process. I think they're heavily reliant on the the clinical finishing of Kane and Son, and, and that isn't um, you know a very sustainable way of playing. And the same sort of goes for Arsenal, really. I, I mean, since Arteta took over, they ranked as the thirteenth best team 
in the league based on expected points. And they actually both posted the sixth worst expected goal process in that time. So only five teams were worse than them from an XG uh, underlying number standpoint, averaging 1.3 expected goals for per game and allowing 1.7 expected goals against per game. So, you know, they, they, they the results did, did improve, but and the eye test, they look better on the eye test, look more organised. But the, the, at the end of the day, they were conceding chances at, at a similar rate to what they were under Unai Emery at the start of the uh, of the season. And if that continues, then um, they will really struggle once again to, to finish in anywhere near the top six. And I think that people are forgetting, although they, they won the FA Cup and the Community Shield, which, by the way, I'm not counting as a major trophy, um, they, you know, they're, they're cup competitions. You get a lot of luck in cup competitions. You can ride your luck, um, and and I think that they did. You know, against Manchester City, they had two shots and, and scored twice and won the game. Um, so, you know, and, and in the final against Chelsea, they went one 0 down, and, and you know, all all of a sudden managed to create um, a chance out of nowhere to get level. So, there's a lot of luck involved with what Arsenal did in the cup competitions, and you can get that in the cup competitions. But over 38 games, uh, a large sample, it's very unlikely that. Um, that that is is going to be sustainable, and, and you know that they're so reliant on Pierre Emerick Aubameyang's clinical finishing that um, <clears throat> you know that it, it, it is unsustainable the way that they're playing. I think he scored was it twenty one or twenty two goals last season from chances equating to around fourteen expected goals. So that's that's the lowest xG total he's seen um, in a, in a full season while he's been at Arsenal. But yet he's managed to produce the same amount of goals. And if that continues, I wouldn't expect him to hit that number this time around. So, yeah, I'm I'm not sold on the pair. Uh, we have them ranked very evenly, Spurs and, and Arsenal, in terms of um, the ratings. And, and you know, we, we've got it as a toss up between either of them to finish sixth or seventh in our forecast table. So, um, the prices that you're getting on them to finish in the top six, the short odds on, for me, massively undeserved. And um, in terms of a value bet, I really like Wolves at the prices. We've got them at, at, at odds on sixty three percent, around one point six. Um, and I think that that is a you know it's a huge value bet. Leicester, they're going to have European football to contend with. They've obviously lost Ben Chilwell. They brought in um, Castagna from from Atalanta, who's a decent left back. Um, they should be there or thereabouts again. But I think the European football Thursday to Sunday will uh, catch up with them eventually. And we, we've got them at twenty five percent chance of a top six finish. So one in every four simulations they finish in the top six. As for Everton, it's one in every eight. I think you were. Uh, I think you said in there. Wolves underrated, Arsenal and Tottenham overrated. And that is probably anyone that didn't listen to the podcast last year, that probably sums it up in about five or six words. Um, but we've, um, we've, we've, we've actually mentioned probably about eight teams now and their, their chances. Southampton really, the, the ones that are right on the fringes there. 12 teams left to, to kind of talk about. And I think all 12 of them, in one way or another, whether it's the markets, whether it's perception or whatever it is, they're probably all considered to be relegation contenders this season. Um, last season, it was it was in it was an interesting one. It kind of right went right up until the final few games. Obviously, uh, Aston Villa and West Ham just about survived. Brighton were were looking likely or looked like they could go down until the end. Crystal Palace and, and Newcastle were two teams that were lucky to finish as high as they did. And then obviously you're, you're going to have the newly promoted teams that are thrown in there and, and predicted to struggle as well. Um, in terms of the markets, Pinnacle has West Brom as favourites for the drop at 2.05. Fulham pretty close behind at 2.10. Aston Villa at 2.85. Newcastle 3.0 and Crystal Palace 3.10. I don't think there's there's much to kind of argue with that. I think that's that's pretty, seems pretty fair to me. Um but then we get on to, um, I'm really surprised to see Burnley as short as 3.80. Um, I think other people will also be shocked to see Sheffield United as short as 3.0, uh, 4.30, um, especially when you consider West Ham are, are at fives or four to one. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure, I'm sure the, the pinnacle traders, they're a lot smarter than me. I'm sure there's something there to have Burnley that short, but but I'm really struggling to understand why. But a lot of prices there to digest. A lot of teams that are potentially in the mix. But who are your who are your three to go down? Do you think? And then why do you think the others that are in the mix will will have enough to stay up? Yeah. So we've got two teams that are slightly ahead of the rest in terms of the relegation percentages, and that's two teams that came up: Fulham and West Brom. Uh, we've got Fulham at around a forty five percent chance of of going down. West Brom at forty four percent. 
Um, and then it's a toss-up between Villa and Newcastle for the third spot. We've got um, the latest sim was was Villa at 38% and Newcastle at 37 but they are so close in the ratings that that, that does flip-flop um, every time we run a couple of thousand simulations. So um, they're, they're our favourites for the bottom four. Uh, we've then got Crystal Palace at 30%, um, so they're definitely in the equation this time around. Uh, and then there's a bit of a drop-off to, to Brighton at 24%, Sheffield United at 20%, and Leeds at 18%. Um, and then I think the only team that I haven't mentioned there is, is Burnley, who we've got at 12 uh, or 13%, and West Ham at 14%. So almost four four tiers or five tiers of, of likelihood. Um, you know, the Fulham and West Brom are our two favourites to go down. Then it's a toss-up between Villa and Newcastle. And then you've got the less likely teams like your Brighton, Sheffield United, Leeds, West Ham, Burnley, etc. But yeah, I think the market's got West Brom uh, favourites for the drop. Um, <clears throat> I think that's slightly undeserved. I think, you know, you look at the, you compare Fulham and West Brom based on championship expected goals. Um, Fulham were actually fortunate to make the playoffs last season. They ranked as the seventh best team um, in the second tier. They had an expected goal difference of plus 6.1. Uh, if you compare that to West Brom, who sat third in the XG table, um, who had a goal difference, expected goal difference of plus 22.6, then you can see there's a massive gulf um, in terms of underlying process from um, last season's rating, uh, yeah, last season's performances. So um, surprising to see Fulham as, as second favourites for the drop. We make them favourites, and also if you factor in that Scott Parker's quite still quite a rookie manager, and and you know West Brom have got Slavon Bilic at the helm, who has been there and done that in the Premier League. Um, I quite like some of the business West Brom have done as well. I think signing Grady Gingana on a permanent deal, which I'm sure as a West Ham fan you're not too pleased about. Um, but that is a, that's a, a really good piece of business getting him signed permanently, um, along with a couple of good young players as well. So out of the two, I do like West Brom's chances more of staying up, but I do think ultimately both teams will um, will end up dropping down into the second tier again. Villa were they were really impressive. I thought post break um, the improvements that were made during the hiatus defensively were quite astounding really um, the average league high 2.4 expected goals against per game prior to the the league suspension and and, and post break they allowed just 1.04 expected goals against per game so um you know defensively they cut their expected goals against in more than half um which is you know pretty exceptional in in such a short space of time um, and if they maintain that level of, of defensive process, then I really think that they've got a good chance of staying up once again. Um, Newcastle, they've got real cause for concern. Obviously, spoke about it quite a lot last season, pretty much every week on the pod, that they were the biggest overperforming team in, in the Premier League. They finished the season 13th, but sat rock bottom of our expected goals table, even below Norwich. Um, and, you know, yeah, Steve Bruce was getting praised by pretty much everyone for, for the job that he did. But basically, he got very lucky uh, with some of the performances. And, you know, they were the, th- the league's third worst attacking team, the fourth worst defensive team. Um, and unless anything changes, expect the results to come, to regress to a level that, that the performances deserve. And obviously, the main hope that Newcastle fans were pinning the season on was, was the, the potential of a takeover uh, and mass investment. That hasn't come to fruition, but um, I've got to say I do quite like the business that they're doing at the moment. Obviously, Callum Wilson looks like he's going to be signing on the dotted line. Ryan Fraser as well, um, and Jamal Lewis from Norwich. So they're three decent signings that that could potentially um, make them stronger and, and, and in, in basically reduce the chances of relegation this time around. But at the moment, I still think that there's value to be had in Newcastle at the prices uh, worth thirty seven percent, as I've already said, which is around two point seven. Um, so whatever you can get available above three um, is very generous, I think, and, and worth backing given what we've shown last season. And you know, although he's bringing in these good players, it'd be interesting to see what sort of approach um, he takes. Whether he persists with um, his defensive-minded back five, or he, you know, tries to. You know, I think he tested the waters with the back four towards the back end of last season and to got mixed results, but. Yeah, with with these different players coming in, obviously Fraser would be a really good player to play out wide. Um, you know, on opposite sides to St. Maximan, you could play Joel Linton and Wilson up top, or you could play Wilson with Armour on him behind. You know, they've got options now, which which does you know it it makes me a little bit more confident about the chances of survival. But it all depends on the approach that Steve Bruce opts to take. Um, and then another team that 
you have to have concern for really is Crystal Palace the way that they finished last season. Um, you know, a lot of people will be backing them for relegation based on the fact that they uh, lost seven and drew one of the last eight last season. Um, but you have to look at the, the teams that they played in that time, and and I think pretty much seven of them were were sat in the top six, top eight of, of the Premier League towards the, the end of the season. I think they played a really tough schedule, um, and they probably weren't expected to get too many points from that that little stretch of games anyway. But the underlying numbers were a cause for concern. The second worst attacking team according to expected goals, um, and you know although they coasted to the finish. They, you know, they need to improve both process-wise and squad-wise. It's quite an aging squad at Crystal Palace, and uh, I think the fact that they brought in a couple of young players, um, Eberechi Izzy, obviously the, the main one, who, who is a really exciting player, definitely improves their chances of, of staying up. So, yeah, again, they're ones to watch for sure how they start the season, but again, very consistent in terms of uh, the coaching staff there and then the playing staff. So, <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised to see them stay up comfortably again and. And then we get to the next tier of teams that that the Infogold thinks have a really good chance of staying up or should steer clear, really. And a team that we we spoke very highly of last season, Brighton, who were really impressive based on expected goals, fourteenth uh, in our XG table, so they finished round about where they deserved to. Um, the process was by far and away better than any team below them in the league. Um, and if they maintain the same levels, they should steer well clear of relegation once again. Sheffield United, they were exceptional last season. Um, although they did finish in the top half in nineteen twenty, we are expecting them to drop into the bottom half this term just purely because we, you know, their, their underlying process was that of a team around tenth in the league. Uh, but you've got teams like Southampton and Everton that we're expecting to improve and potentially uh, pass Sheffield United, and then you've got newly promoted Leeds, who, um, you know, many are looking at as potential top six challenges. But we're not going that far. We think that they'll stay up very comfortably. Um, and the reason for that is is the fact is the the way that they won the championship title, which um, was with very similar authority and dominance to to Wolves in seventeen eighteen, um, based on underlying numbers, they were actually better than Wolves in seventeen eighteen in the championship. So we're expecting them to survive, um, and they're given just around an eighteen percent chance of going down. So really expect you know really exciting times at Leeds, and expecting them to stay up quite comfortably. Um, West Ham they improved really well um, towards the back in the last season. David Moyes got got his side clicking um, mainly through Mikel Antonio. Hopefully he remains as, as the number nine striker. He's an absolute handful. Um, and Burnley, I've got no concerns about them really at the moment. They finished tenth in the league last season. People forgetting they managed to finish in the top half. Um, and they ranked as the 12th best team, according to our expected goals table, with a really strong process. So um, if they maintain that, then they should steer well clear. So like you said at the top of this, very surprising to see them at the price that uh, that they are for the relegation. Yeah, I certainly think Leeds is, is one of the ones in there. We've had, obviously, Wolves came in and, and did really well in their first season. Sheffield United came in and did and did really well last season, their first season. It's it's almost become a bit of a theme now, whereas previous it was any three that came up, they're automatically banded in with the, the relegation contenders. But that that disparity, I think, between kind of the real elite and the rest of the league has enabled teams to kind of push on and, and maybe look a little bit safer. But again, it's it's similar to the, the InfoGoal model, Pinnacles odds, West Brom and, and Fulham, the, the two clear favourites. Um, to go down. So the one I mentioned there about Burnley and Sheffield United, maybe you can kind of the performance wasn't quite at the levels that they were at for the when they were really flying high in the in the table. Is there any any reason at all you can see Burnley p- p- being lumped in with these these relegation contenders? I mean, I know kind of like Tarkowski is is rumored to be going to to Leicester, West Ham putting a bid. I'm I'm really kind of struggling just to kind of think why would they why would the expectation for them be so low? Do you think I'm not too sure? Um, I, I think it's just it's just because it's Burnley. If it, if they were called a different name, if they were called um, Everton, then no one would be anywhere near them for relegation. But um, I, I think it's, it's, it's slightly disrespectful. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a team that that I think they lost twice in the last eighteen Premier League games or something like that. So the fact that they are you know, and, and half of those games were done with, with were played with a um, you know a very depleted squad after quite a few players left. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not too sure. I think Sean Dyche doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for the job that he does there. Um, you know, small budget, 
the, the players are, you know, you look at the squad and there's only probably five, maybe four players that would probably get any uh, walk into any other Premier League team. And yet he's consistently performing, uh, getting Burnley to perform, uh, um, you know, above the means really. And um, yeah, uh, if they maintain a similar process to what they did last season, then they'll have no problem whatsoever staying up because, like I said, that was a, a mid-table process, uh, averaging 1.4 expected goals for, 1.48 expected goals against per game, which is really impressive, um, you know, from a team that, that does have such limited resources. And, um, you know, I think the main thing for them is keeping hold of Dwight McNeil, keeping hold of Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes because they're the goal scorers. I think if, if Tarkovsky goes... I'm very confident that Sean Dyche will be able to identify another centre-half to come in and, and then almost uh, coach them to to perform at that same level um, at Tarkovsky, which, which is really, uh, at the end of the day, is um, making sure you're organised, being solid and, and getting yourself, you know, blocking shots and, and you know, stopping <laughs> stopping the team from advancing, which I know it sounds simple, but Burnley do play in, in quite a deep block. So you've got a lot of players around you at Burnley, which is why I think sometimes when... Um, players are signed from Burnley from defensive perspective anyway that that they can sometimes come unstuck when they move on because they're playing in such a different manner. Um, you think of Michael Keane and how much he struggled at Everton in his first couple of seasons after joining Burnley, um, just purely because it is you know it's a completely different way of playing. Um, so yeah, even if players leave at Burnley, I'm still quite confident that they'll they'll have enough to stay up this time around. Well, I think that that wraps up our our outright markets for the the teams specifically. Obviously, one that that a lot of people like to get involved in, and, and a very popular market is the the golden boot and the top scorer odds. Um, pretty close last year. A few players were in the running throughout the season. A little bit of kind of up and down and drama towards the end. Jamie Vardy won it. I think he got twenty three. We then had Abamyang and Ings were one behind. Um, Sterling broke 20 I think he got 20 bang on um, and then usual suspects Salah, Kane, Mane were a little bit lower down um, interesting to see when I was looking at the numbers that Salah was actually the only one of those that underperformed his XG so he got 20.51 expected goals um, and I think it was 19 or, or 18 goals um, and his XG total was actually only bettered by Gabriel Jesus um, who managed just 14 goals from his 20.69 um, that he would have been expected to score. It's another one where there's, we seem to see the, the same players kind of there or thereabouts within this market, but it's, it is another one where there's probably 10 or so players that are in with a shout based on last season or or certainly people will look at as a potential option in the market. We've also then you mentioned earlier Werner for Chelsea. They they had a great attacking process, didn't quite put the ball in the back of the net as much as they should, but but someone with his finishing ability is is going to be a standout candidate for people as well. Who do you think is going to end up with the golden boot? And and in terms of the markets, is there anyone there that you think's potentially being being underestimated or or could offer value? Yeah, yeah, I think there there, there are there is plenty of value to be had um but first off i just want to mention the fact that we we have recently done a, a big app update with the infocall app and, and we've actually improved all of the player stats pages which for your top goal scorer bettings um you know you've got all the stats on there now for expected goals per per average match and expected assists we've got shots and shots on targets um, so it's definitely worth checking out because it is completely revamped and, and now all the data that I'm going to be discussing on here is, is actually available um, with a touch of a button. Um, you mentioned there Gabriel Jesus being the, 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 the almost XG leader last season with 20.7 expected goals. And, and that, you know, that has been the case for a couple of years now that he has racked up that many uh, or been on the end of that many good chances. And, and I think I actually put him up last season to finish top scorer depending on playing time. And, you know, I'd be more than happy to do that again this time around. I mean, he plays in the, in a team, Manchester City, that are the best attacking team in the league. They create chances at will. Um, and Sergio Aguero does miss quite a lot of playing time. So um, I think that he is definitely an interesting player to to potentially get on side at, at maybe a bigger price to than, than he likes of Kane and, and Salah. Because if he is given the nod, then I, I do fancy him to at least get past 20 goals this time around. Uh, he averaged around 089 expected goals per average match um, and I use per, per average match just to explain um, quite a few data collectors use per 90 um, and the that is because the, the the data that they actually receive is 
basically a 90 minute match. Whereas obviously we know we have added time at the start of the first half, added time at the second half. So the average time of the match from the data that we collect is actually around 95 minutes. So, you know, if we were quoting per 90, it wouldn't be doing the players too much justice. So we are calling it per XG per average match, um, which is basically our average match length. So um, Gabriel Jesus, like I said, is at 0.89 XG per average match. Then you've got your likes of, um, you know, Harry Kane, who's at the top of the market. He's at 0.44 XG per average match last season, massively overperformed his expected goals. Um, he has done so for quite a long time now, has Harry Kane. So I, I definitely would put him in the elite finisher bracket. Um, but the, the problem I have with him in terms of betting is the fact that he's playing in a Tottenham team that didn't actually create too much over the course of the season. I think it was quoted around 1.4 expected goals for per game since Jose Mourinho came in. You know, you compare that to Manchester City at 2.67. Um, you know, there's a massive difference there in, in you know the potential chances that could fall to the likes of Gabriel Jesus, Sergio Aguero, Raheem Sterling, etc. And and that's why I think that uh, Raheem Sterling um, is is a decent bet. Obviously, he you know he's known for missing quite a few sitters, but he does get himself in the positions. And, and when you do that, then you know you're more likely to, to score more goals. It's quite simple, really. And and I think that at the prices, I'm not quite sure what price he is on the Pinnacle site, but. Um, I think he'll be above around 10 or maybe even 11. I think he's, you know, makes really, really good appeal. Um, 20 goals last season, 0.68 XG per average match. Um, and, you know, he scored his 20 goals from 20.3 expected goals. So if he gets the same sort of total again, um, 20.3 expected goals, then it's every chance that he can score 20 or maybe even more this time around. Um, and, I, you know, if, if you were looking at back in an each way bet, then, you know, you can get four places in uh, uh, knocking around. Um, Aubameyang's another one. It's in a similar mould to Kane where he's playing in a team that doesn't actually create too much. He scored 20 goals from 16 expected goals. Um, I think, again, at the prices, he's, he's quite a short price. Um, I definitely wouldn't be going near him at those prices. Aguero, he was actually the XG per average match leader last season in the Premier League. He averaged 0.94. So he was getting on the end of more chances more often than anyone else in the Premier League. Um, the issue with him is that he very rarely finished, plays a full season. So last season he played 18 games uh, and made six sub-appearances. I think he played around 15, uh, 1,500 minutes, 1,550 minutes last season. And you compare that to Jamie Vardy, who played nearly double uh, at 3,270 minutes. So Aguero, if he was going to play as much as um, you know, maybe even 2,500 minutes, an extra 1,000 minutes could potentially be in that shout, but he's massive question marks around his fitness. So he's probably best um, left alone. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned Timo Werner. He really could be a dark horse in this uh, uh, in this top scorer race. Um, I think he, he scored a, a hatful of goals in Germany. He was extremely clinical at RB Leipzig, I think he was averaging around 0.8 expected goals per average match in, in what was a very attack-minded RB Leipzig side. And he's walking into an attack-minded Chelsea side who averaged around two expected goals per game. So, um, you know, if you if you substitute him out for, for Tammy Abraham, Tammy Abraham, 15 goals last season from 19.2 expected goals, which was a massive underperformance. If you give Timo Werner the same amount of chances, I would massively fancy him to score at the very least 19 goals. Um, but it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he if he would maybe even hit twenty five from that mark. So um, you know he's definitely in the running at, at the prices. Um, and then I guess the other ones you've got to talk about were the people who finished at the top last year, which was Jamie Vardy, twenty three goals, uh, and Danny Ings at twenty two goals. And Danny Ings will be a bigger price than uh, quite a few of the players, high profile players that I've mentioned already. I think he could go in again, really. He was exceptional last season. Like I said, Southampton looked like they're improving. He's going to be playing up front with a, um, an unselfish partner in Che Adams that will just allow him to, to score goals and, and take chances. So um, he averaged 0.53 expected goals per average match, which is more than the likes of Harry Kane and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So again, I'm expecting him to be at the top of the charts. Same with Jamie Vardy. Um, but for me, like I said, the best bet, I think at the prices is, is Raheem Sterling because I think his his process is is most replicable. Um, and as an outside bet, I'd probably put up some maybe Che Adams um, as a player that I, I that I like. I think he he finished the season quite strongly in terms of goal scoring, um, and I think his average his expected goal average last season was um, 
quietly impressive. He didn't play too much, but 0.43 expected goals per average match was what he put last season. Um, and that was in very limited minutes, 1,200 minutes. So give him a bit more game time. He's got more used to the system. He's got used to the to the league. I think he could potentially be a dark horse and he'll be a very big price to finish as a top scorer. Um, and then, yeah, I'll put Jay, Gabriel Jesus up again, just purely because he's he, he gets on the end of so many good chances. Um, and if Aguero isn't playing, then he'll be the go-to down the middle. Uh, and Manchester City create a ton of chances left and right. So, um, yeah, they're the three I'll put up. Jesus, Sterling and uh, Che Adams as, as a massive long shot. I'm going to be keen to to see what happens with, with Che Adams. And I think it's one of those ones, it's, it's good to just, I'm going to, talk for you a little bit I guess perhaps you're not you're not suggesting that Che Adams is going to win the golden boot but it's more because the focus is on those players at the top of the market he's very likely to be a, a very big price and it's one of those things like if it does happen it might it, it's probably more likely than the say 100 to 1 200 to 1 plus that you're you're going to get a bookmaker I mean I remember last year Tammy Tammy Abraham was one of those ones I think he was 150 to 1 in places and it's just like it's is the, the the value is clearly there. It's it's worth a chance on it, whether it's small stakes or or whatever. Um, but I mean, we've we've covered plenty today. I think that just about wraps it up. We we are going to start our, our weekly previews again very soon. We've made a couple of changes this season to to kind of make it a little bit more interesting for the listeners. So so do make sure you've subscribed on your preferred platform if you if you haven't already. Um, cheers for the time today, Jake. I'm, I'm looking forward to another season of Premier League action and 38 podcast episodes that come along with it. Yeah, can't wait. And if you do want to take a look at the markets that we've discussed on today's show, all of the odds are available on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly. 